I'm Shannon. And I'm Rami, and this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read (laughs) to help us all expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree. So, Shannon, I've heard this week we are going to be talking about how you allow different parts of your life to vocalize themselves. Yeah, this is a little bit more of an existential, like, 30,000-foot view. But there's this beautiful book. I just love this author. This author is Parker J. Palmer, and he wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak probably 20 years ago now. And it's essentially a book about finding and listening to our inner... I would say our inner selves. He uses the word inner teacher and and following that still small voice within us to lead us toward a sense of more meaning and purpose in our careers. And truly, like, I just think our whole freaking lives and how this relates to empathy for me is that I think perhaps one of the most empathetic things we can ever do for ourselves and frankly, for our world is to live a life and choose a vocation that is in alignment to our truth, our purpose, our calling. And I think, uh, you know, the opposite of that, where I see the most, where I felt the most pain in myself and where I see the most pain in a lot of folks that I work with is when we are demanding ourselves to live out of alignment with who we truly are and what we truly want in our lives. And so I think this is a book about empathy in that sense of empathy for ourselves and then empathy for the broader world of believing that by living into our truth, we really can do the most good for other people. Yeah, I think you're hitting it on the nose. I think when we see our friends, our family, those who are working within like their their vocation in it's in alignment to like their their truth and their purpose, there's uh, I would say at least for me like there's a lightness to them when they talk about work and they talk about that 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 aspect of things mm-hmm. where you can tell when people are really struggling with the imbalance there, it's like a a real heaviness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The energy underneath in that sense. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So getting into the, the the nitty-gritty of this book a little bit, I wouldn't say, like, this isn't a book that's, like, uh, uh, reads like a manual on how to follow this step-by-step whatsoever, but there are just, like, maybe four themes that I thought were really beautiful that I wanted to pull out. So the, the first theme is all about living from the outside in versus the inside out. Again, he advocates for living from the inside out. So that's theme one that we'll talk about. The second one is the value of inner work. So taking time to actually tune in to the still small voice within you. The third is about how vocation, where vocation lies. I'll leave it at that for now. And the fourth one that I'm hoping we could spend some time on is how sometimes when we rise to meet a vocation, some things need to end or close in our lives and how that can be really painful. Sometimes. I like that. And then, so do we have acronyms? No, there are no acronyms in this book. There is no, <laughs> no step shortcuts. by step. There's no <laughs> shortcuts. This is not a book of shortcuts, but it is a really short, beautiful, beautiful read. So uh, w- would strongly encourage folks to to take a read. But here's here's like the short term version for us for now. Okay, so the first theme that we're going to dig into is living from the outside in versus the inside out. So in the book, um, Parker says. Have you found a noble way of living that is not your own? Have you spent time imitating heroes instead of listening to your own heart? And I loved that because I could so deeply relate to that. I think for the first 30 years of my life, I found a noble way of living, you know, one that other people could Mm -hmm. say like, oh, like, look at you and all the fancy things that you're doing. But it was not, it was living from the outside in. 
It was living yeah. from the expectations that I thought were placed upon me versus actually focusing on what I wanted to be doing and living from that place out. Yeah. So encouraging folks to listen for what your life actually wants you to do with it. So what is the truth and the values that you want to embody versus what others have set upon you that you maybe have been deciding to live up to? So Rami, I'm curious in this, for us to maybe share some personal stories, when is the time that you lived from the inside out or the outside in? Either one. Uh, I could do outside in. As a as a BIPOC minority immigrant child, the only goal of your parents is for you to be a doctor. Mm. My degree is in cellular and molecular biology, which is fun to say, uh, very difficult to understand. And I think the goal for my parents and for myself was to become a doctor, right? And it took getting that degree and shadowing doctors and spending uh, 20 plus years of my life thinking that that's what I wanted to do to find out that it's not what I wanted to do at all, that it was the outside in forcing me to do that, to live up to the expectations that were set for me. But that was never going to be a path and a value of truths that I wanted to embody. Yeah. And like, what was the light bulb moment for you when you do? Was there a light bulb moment or was it like a slow shift? I mean, I, well, I think for me, it was never really understanding what it is that I would have to be doing, like suturing people. I want nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. Touching a lot of people. I don't like really touching people. Mm -hmm. So doctors have to touch a lot of people. Um, and it's not that I don't like touching people. I just don't want to be touching people all the time. Mm -hmm. All of those things really freak me out. And it wasn't until I like shadowed a bunch of doctors and was like, oh, I don't want to do any of this. Like, nope, like, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to see naked people. That's weird. Yep. Not my, not my jam. (laughs) I don't, don't need to be looking at weird things on people. Like people want to show me weird things. Not my jam. You want to show me some weird thing on your foot? Nope. I don't want to see that. And now I have I have to say yes to that question when you ask me that? Nah, I don't think so. Yeah. So in what you shared, I'm hearing like it wasn't necessarily one light bulb moment of like, oh, wow, I've been living from the outside in and now I'm going to live from the inside out and not be a doctor. It was a collect. It was like a series of exposures, if you will, that made you start to like question like, is like it like this is actually not feeling like it's it i really like to use the word exposure <laughs> i don't yes. know yes like it's, it's, yes just from what you shared there it were some like exposures was... i didn't need to be a part of <laughs> it sounded like it was like darn near traumatic for you <laughs> those points. right i think it's one of those things when you you know intrinsically the whole time like you're living for the outside in right like i knew that that's not what i i wanted to do i don't think i and knew I, You didn't? I don't think I knew. I don't think I knew until the end. But that was kind of the point that I wanted to, well, maybe, so maybe this is the point that we make to our listeners is like, you might have a different experience of outside in versus inside out, you know, like it it might be a flashbang moment and it might not be. So tell me yours then, Shannon. 
Um, I think mine is a combination of like a flashbang moment, which to me maybe is indicative of the fact that I didn't know all along that I was living from the outside in. The flashbang moment was when I, I've shared this story on the podcast before, I think, when I was presenting to the CEO of Target Corporation in the boardroom and his whole entire leadership team, like celebrating this big, sexy project. And I was like, what the hell? I should feel really happy right now. And I feel really freaking dead inside. Um, And the metaphor that I used a lot to describe that feeling, that sensation, and then the decisions that came after that to say, I got to get off this path, is that it was like in that moment, and for the six months that followed, I realized I'd just been on an escalator. You know, just been like riding an escalator and people kept like tapping me on the shoulder to point me to like the next escalator to the next level and blah, blah, blah. And like one day I woke up and I was like, well, what the heck? Like, <laughs> I'm at the top floor of the mall and I don't want to be in a mall anymore. Like, this is actually maybe never where I wanted to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. So how do we operate with empathy and compassion for ourselves in the sense of like, you might have a flashbang moment. And it might still be hard to make change. Yep. And or you might not have a flashbang moment. And like Rami's experience, it might be a series of things. So how do you make it also a series of choices? Like little small choices every day to live mm-hmm. from the inside out and to think about like the energy underneath the decisions that you're making and what's motivating them in that way. Yeah, I think too, like it's going to be hard when you change. Yeah. And so just like starting to have self-empathy for yourself, knowing that that if you choose to make a pivot, a 180 degree pivot, which is as much of a pivot as you can make, that it's going to be really hard. Yeah. But the light on the outside of that tunnel is that like you're going to be living inside out rather than outside in. So yes. it's, it's worth it. It just is going to suck. It creates a lot of ease in the end. Um, well, and not always ease because sometimes no. living into our truth means being in direct opposition to someone else's feeling of truth and that's okay okay so then the second theme in the book that i wanted to talk about is the value that the author places on inner work so he makes the point that like we listen for guidance everywhere but from within like i can i was the baby of the family i have nine older brothers and sisters so like it was very easy for me and readily available for me for constantly looking for guidance outside of myself. <laughs> like, just came with the territory of being the youngest of a family that huge. And I think vocation comes from listening to and accepting, like, who our true self is. So when I talk about inner work, I mean, like, skills like journaling, reflective reading, um, having spiritual or existential conversations with friends, meditation, prayer, embodiment, like going for walks and just like giving yourself space to just be with yourself. I don't know that that's a skill that a lot of us have. Well, and I want to build on that because I think a lot of people look at this and say, oh, well, then it's it's one of these things. It's journaling, it's reflective, it's spiritual friendship, it's meditation, it's prayer, it's embodiment. I think there are other things that you can do that that hit that same tone, mm-hmm. right? For me, it's running. Yeah. I think for some people, it's baking. I think it's it's what's that space that's really sacred to you that helps you get both really deep inside of yourself, but also outside of yourself. And so... I wouldn't say, okay, my friend does journaling, so it has to be journaling for me. Right. Or my friend does this, it has to be this for me. I think find find your way to do your inner work. And it may be that it's the way that you work out and that lets you get on your inner work. Maybe it's baking, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's 
uh, it's yard work. Maybe it's gardening. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things. And you just have to find that thing that lets you do your own inner work. Yeah. One of my clients um, uses the words, what helps her tap into her soul and get out of her psyche? And so I, like I think that. about that, like whatever, whatever the things are for you that help you tap into your soul, like that's your inner work and like your way of finding truth within you. And so just making space for that. And I guess my question here, oh, maybe this question is presumptuous, but let's, so we'll start in a different place. Um, wh- what do you think society's value is of inner work today? Like, do you think this is something that's valued or not really, or somewhere in the middle? I think society likes to sell it its value on it but i don't think society likes to invest into it like actually allowing people to do the inner work yeah i'm kind of with you on that i'm i'm yeah there are a lot of there is a lot of like sexiness and things like meditation or bullet journaling Mm -hmm. or whatever it is but when the rubber meets the road i think what i observed in myself when it was time for me to get in touch with my own inner landscape is a lot of avoidance a lot of like fear, like what's going to come up here? I don't know what I'm going to find in that soul place. And that might make me have to make changes. And so we resist, we resist, we resist. And uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know if I can sell you on the importance of it, other than to just say like, gosh, there is something powerful about living from the inside out. And you can't really Mm -hmm. live from the inside out if you don't know what your insides are. Yeah. And I think too, it comes from consistency, right? Like people say, oh, I meditated once this week. And it's like, well, no, if meditation is going to be your inner work, then you've got to do it like super consistently. Like it has to become a consistent piece of who you are to allow you to keep pounding away at at, at doing that work. Yes. And uh, I would add to that to say like, and permission for it to change and evolve over time. Like maybe yes. six years ago, running would have been my meditative practice, so to speak. But now my meditative practice is literally my meditation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, two years ago, I was like a crazy journal, three pages a day. Now I'm like, maybe it's three pages once a week. So whatever it is, like just making space for something and being okay if it shifts or evolves over time as you grow your family, change your careers, whatever it might be, like your needs might change and that's okay but doing yeah. something at all. Um, okay. So then the, the next point that he makes in the book that I was just like, Oh, these words just like hit me right at the core. Vocation lies in the place where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest need. So I'm going to say, Ooh. yeah, I'm going to say it again, just to like make sure that it hits vocation lies in the place where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest need. So, Paying attention to this might be some beautiful inner work for you to ponder on your next run, meditation, whatever. Like, what are the ways in which or the areas where you actually find your deepest gladness or your deepest joy? And then also thinking about, like, what are the world needs that you're just so deeply motivated to meet? But again, if we're not making time, going back to point two, for creating that quiet, inviting, trustworthy space for your inner thoughts and actual feelings and clarity on what you do enjoy and what what the world does need, that feeling of purpose may never come. So making space for it. Yeah. What do you think your deepest gladness is, Shannon? Um, I wish I had like a buttoned up answer. I think my deepest 
glad. I mean, I truly think like my deepest gladness is seeing people come alive. You know, it's yeah. it like it is like this whole book. It's the premise of this book in whatever way and being really nurturing and loving and compassionate to them in that journey. That just brings me so much joy and so much joy of like the mystery of it. Like you just don't know. Like mm-hmm. And and that's what's kind of fun sometimes with clients too. When I walk this road with them, like they might come in thinking the answer is I'm going to start my own business, but they come yeah. out the other side and they're like, holy crap, I just want to live a simple life and like get a job that pays the bills. And actually like my deepest gladness is in my kids and my family and like devote every am- amount of time to my kids and my family as I possibly can. And it's so beautiful to just like see others come alive in that sense. So that's yeah. my deepest gladness. And it's also what I think the world most deeply needs is more of that spaciousness to explore and find what is your deepest gladness. <sighs> I'm going to get sappy. I could get sappy and talk about I that. I like all it. All right, let's keep going. What's the, okay, what's so the fourth one? The, the fourth theme that I want to talk about from the book is um, that the painful fact of when you find or want to start following a vocation or a calling, that sometimes rising to meet that calling means that there are going to be ways that close in your life. So paths that you've been on that need to end or you need to turn around from and that you do actually have some liabilities and limits to yourself. And that is going to inform what you maybe want to do and where your deepest gladness comes from versus where you thought it would come from. And this can be a really painful, hard experience because I don't think as human beings in the world, we get taught a lot of skills on like how to grieve, frankly, or like how to let go or when it's time to let go. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that the book talks about that hard part about when we actually begin to live into our truth or our purpose, that it isn't all like butterflies, sunshine and roses. Like there, there are things that are going to have to end. And I think in knowing that there's going to be some endings, it can help us better prepare for it in that sense. Yeah. So I think, Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, like, I'm curious for us to maybe reflect, to give listeners a better clue of like, well, what is, what does that mean? Like, what is a way closing? Can you think of past times in your life, like when a chapter wanted to end or a door wanted to close and maybe like you struggled to embrace it? I think there was a job that I had that I, I liked everything about it except for the job. And so just, I think- just that the job. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but I think the big thing was like, I wasn't ready for that door to close. And I'm lucky in that I have a very supportive partner. And she kept telling me that that door is closed. Like, let's just let it close, like get your foot out of the door and let's let it close and let's be done with that. And let's go on to the next thing. And I think that was really difficult. I look back on and go, yeah, well, I was just being dumb. And like, I wasn't willing to accept that that door was closed and that there was a whole army of doors around it that were all open i just needed to be willing to let one door close but it's difficult right it sucks yeah and i loved the visual that you created almost of like that you still kept your foot in the door like that pinches like it hurts to try to like Uh keep it open and it hurts when it slams in your face too um is there anything that helped make that time easier for you which time like the 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 closing the doors yeah Yep. Closing the door, accepting that a door wanted to close and moving forward. I think just that, like, my, my partner was so supportive in telling me, like, we will be fine. Let that door close. 
This isn't the end. This isn't the, this isn't a cement like wall at the end of your hallway, right? Like this is a side door in a extremely long hallway that has so many more doors still to come Mm -hmm. that like, you don't have to worry about this one closing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think for me, I think about for sure the big way closing of like letting go of corporate and I mm-hmm. wish I could say that that was like a one and done thing. But it's interesting because even something recently popped up in the last maybe six months or so where I didn't realize I was still holding on to that old identity in the sense that I was still hanging on to having a part of my identity as a coach being wrapped up in like, oh, I coach fancy people. I coach executives and do leadership coaching and all these business to business engagements and not seeing like, no, 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 like that part of me really wanted to die so that I felt more free to fully express my, like the truth of who I am, you know, cause there were things or like rules that I'd made up in my head of like what shoes I could wear, even like different things or how I could show up to client sessions based on me trying to keep that door open. And mm-hmm. when I finally was like, no, that door's shut. I do transition coaching. That's all I do. I work with people in the messy middle, like messy middle, like crappy mucky times of life. Oh my gosh. Like what freedom emerged for me in that. But yeah, like that clinging, that clinging energy was so alive in there, even four years after I had exited. So it can be slow or sneaky in that sense, where we Mm -hmm. might still be hanging on and don't know it. Okay, so now driving it home to some tactical things, like how do you practically turn some of these concepts into action and begin to actually cultivate some awareness of what your unique vocation or purpose might be. I think the first tactical tip is like commit to actually doing some inner work and make it pleasurable AF. AF. (laughs) Yes. So I think this is the thing that people sometimes forget about. So if we go back to when Rami and I talked about different examples of inner work, like if running is your thing, like that's your inner work, but make it pleasurable, like run routes that you want to run, listen to the music that you want to listen to, Um, stop on the park bench at the end of the pier and look out at the ocean and just sit for a bit and like simmer and take it in, make it pleasurable for yourself in those ways. And in that inner work within that um, journey, something that they suggest in the book that I think is pretty tactical is how can you seek clues from your younger years for when you maybe were living closer to what he calls your birthright gifts. So uh, some examples for me is I can remember like being called bossy at eight because I was telling the girls on the school playground how to build snow forts or the fact that I became a peer mediator in eighth grade, you know, because I just like loved Mm -hmm. like helping people like resolve conflict and figure things out (laughs) and doing student council in high school and also being like a facilitator in that sense. So, yeah, I think there can be like signs if we if we pay attention and we look. Yeah, I think you're right on here. The The work that I did with a coach when I was making the decision to not become a doctor early on in my career, we did a lot of this like work to say like, what were the things that like, what are your highlights of your life? Like, what are the stories that people tell about you? Right? Like my wife always tells a story about how we had a assignment in AP, some sort of AP class. And what I did was I joined two groups and had each group do one half and exchange the answers, but did no work. She's like, that's you. You do no work and you will get everything done. You get everybody else to do the work. But like, that's you, right? Like you love to to facilitate those types of things. Yeah. And I think it's those, those memories 
are the ones that like can help you figure out what it is that 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 is pleasurable. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. The second technical <laughs> tip <clears throat> is to do something that is called a Quaker clearness committee. So I just want to acknowledge I'm not familiar with the Quaker faith, so to speak. But essentially what this is about is identifying like who are those what do I call them to clients? Um, who are those like nutritious people in your life that are capable of deep, open and honest, like listening to you and asking you great questions without providing fixes or giving a lot of advice and letting those people be a support to you as you do some of the inner work so that you can take things to them and be like, oh, I'm thinking I don't want to be a doctor anymore. And I want to go into retail. And they can ask you probing questions to help you discern for yourself, if that is your inner truth, mm-hmm. without renaring a lot of judgment or whatnot. So that might be something to try. My like word of caution here is if that you know that you're someone who typically tries to outsource decisions, this may not be the thing for you. Because this <laughs> could be you trying to outsource decisions. But I, yeah. I I had people that served that purpose in my life, like not in this formal capacity that he describes, like establish this clearness committee and meet once a week and talk for three hours. No, we didn't do that. But it would be like, a, hey, I'm thinking about applying to this job at Target because coaching feels really, really hard right now. And my girlfriend being like, no, what the hell are you doing? Stop that. Just keep going. <laughs> Um, that's, that's not so much a clearness committee. <laughs> she was just telling me what to do, but you need those yeah. people sometimes to keep you on the nose of your truth and keep you guiding well, to I think that light. You probably have those people. And I think like most people, we all like to give advice, yeah. uh, whether it's been asked for or not. So I think just be really clear and say like, I don't need any advice. What I need you to do is like really help me like figure this out. Yeah. What are the how like, and wanted... what questions to help me exactly. figure it out? Like I need you to poke at me to like get to the bottom of this thing. Yeah. Rami's really good at that, by the way. I, I would highly nominate Rami for a clearness committee role <laughs> if you're seeking one. Um, okay, so then the last tip that uh, a more tactical tip that I would offer for folks from this book is that when you feel like you're getting to a point of like, oh, this might be the thing, like this might actually be my calling or my purpose or my vocation, or frankly, even like the minor life choices that come up in life, he has like f- five little things that you can check in with that I think are so simple, but actually truly do point you towards what is your truth. So the first one he says is like, notice if if it makes you feel more in integrity or not. Does it make you feel more or less authentic? Does it feel make you feel more or less connected to yourself? Does it make you feel more or less right? Not morally, but like intuitively, like you're in mm. the right path. And does it make you feel more or less alive? So integrity, authenticity, connection to yourself, right intuitively and alive letting those be ways for you to discern if something is right for you or not whether it's the big choices or the big vocational choices and then the last thing he says that i thought was like really profound in a very simple way too is like can you and and then also like can you think of an easier way to do the thing that you think you want to do so for example like i made it really hard for me to be a coach at first because i was like telling myself a story that i had to do that within a corporate environment I was like, oh, like, yeah, where I also have to manage a P&L and I also have to, like, navigate political systems and da 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 when really, like, there actually is an easier way. Like, I, I could just get to be a coach and, like, yep. literally have that be my job. But, like, that's all I do and get to develop people that way and, and not have to be responsible for a $2 billion P&L to save time. Like, I could do that. So yep. giving yourself permission for it to be easy in that sense. Yes, I love it. Okay, so let's do a quick recap. <clears throat> so the really big things were living 
from the outside versus the inside, outside in versus inside out. And really, how do you, how do you focus on the inside out, outside in? You had it right the first um, time. Focusing from the inside out, listening to what's inside and letting that get expressed outward. Uh, the next one was the values of inner work. So whatever that is, really focusing and doing on it, doing work on it. So if it's journaling, if it's reflective, if it's running, if it's gardening, if it's meditation, whatever it is, just being able to do it and and make that that value and and listening to your true self. The third one was that vocation lies in the place where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest need. And so, um, are you are you giving something that spiritually grows within you? And how do you nurture that? And then the last one was sometimes rising rising to a calling means accepting um, doors closing, and and being comfortable with that, even though it's a very difficult thing to to accept. So the tactical pieces that Shannon had were committing to some inner work and making it pleasurable AF. <laughs> so so that that. That, I think, is the important piece is whatever you're going to do for that inner work, make sure that you're enjoying it and make sure that you really, really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, the Quaker Clearness Committee, which is really just having that sounding board to to poke and, and interrogate yourself. And then the uh, questions for discernment. Um, so, yeah, with that, we'd love for you to connect with us and let us know about the inner work that you do, how you do it, and, and just how you go about this, this vocational work. So connect with us on Instagram at workplace hugs. Uh, with that, I've been Rami and I've been Shannon and this is workplace hugs. Mm-hmm.